The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. Hello, I'm John Plunkett, and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, ITV says show us the colour of your money as it launches its first pay TV channel since before anyone can remember. And there's another new channel from BBC Worldwide. It's called BBC Brit, and it's going to have a lot of top gear on it. Plus, why is the Daily Telegraph running an advert about a column in The Times? And is Channel 4's The Jump any good? All this on Media Talk from The Guardian. And joining me this week are Liz Howell, Director of Broadcasting at City University and founder of Living TV, and Matt Deegan, Creative Director of Digital Consultancy Folder Media, uh, which is home to the fun kids radio station, among many other things. Uh, welcome both. Hello. Hello. Matt, you've been tweeting about the Archiva Commercial Radio Awards, isn't it? <coughs> There's a rule change. The BBC can enter. Well, not quite. Well, uh, what the Radio Centre have done is uh, there are a couple of radio groups who aren't in the Radio Centre. And I think very nicely they've uh, opened up the option for those uh, groups. I think that's UTV and uh, UKRD to be able to enter. Even so one big happy commercial radio family for 2014. Even though they don't pay their subs? Uh, even though they don't pay their subs. This is good news. And Liz, you're on sabbatical. I am, Outrageous. Yes. Oh, no, it's great. Yes, are you writing your fourth novel or what are you up to? No, I'm not wasting my time with fiction. I'm doing this really in-depth academic research into how many women experts there are on TV and radio news. It's really interesting, actually. Mm. Throws up some quite fascinating... We were just talking about it earlier. Counterintuitive things come up, like you think... Mm, not very many women, you know, sports commentators. And you find three women experts on the Grand Prix. I mean, it's not always like that, sadly, but it's really, really interesting. Well, we look forward to that. But first up this week, ITV, which announced this week, is going to launch a new pay TV channel on Sky, showcasing the best of British drama. ITV Broadchurch, no, I'm kidding, it's going to be called ITV Encore, will be home to shows such as Vera, Lucan, but probably not reruns of The Bill. It's part of Chief Exec Adam Crozier's efforts to diversify its revenue streams, it says here, uh, away from free-to-air advertising, which of course makes up the bulk of ITV's revenue. And it is the broadcaster's first major return to pay TV since uh, something called ITV Digital, you might remember, uh, more than a decade ago. Which is a reminder, Liz, of how difficult it is for free-to-air broadcasters to get pay TV right. It is really, really difficult. And, and uh, y- you know, looking back over the past, the number of channels that were started, particularly when I started with UK K Living right back in 93, there were almost all the channels that started then yeah, hit the dust, really, because it is very, very hard. A lot of people think that any old programme that they put on pay TV will work, or they used to think that. I remember that was one of the problems with Granada, who thought that everybody would be queuing to watch Coronation Street from way back in the 1960s. But they're not, because actually old programmes, I know this is really against the rules to say this, but old programmes actually aren't that good. If you actually watch them, you can find them really painful and slow. Production values are much better now. Television is much better quality now. Of course, people take you out and shoot you for saying that, but it's absolutely true. I think it's great that ITV is doing this. I think there's been a strange sort of psychological problem in ITV until relatively recently, a sort of retraction from, from the fray, the, the fear of, of being overtaken by the BBC, of not having the funding of American um, programming, of the internet. Now suddenly they've got their confidence back and it's fantastic. And it's right that the BBC has a worthy competitor and they should be putting that stuff out there. Matt, what did you make of it? Because it's a brave move, but it's going against the grain in a sense that Channel 4's multi-channel strategy was pay TV. Uh, things like E4 and Film Film, whatever. Now they've all gone free, so they're going against the grain in that sense. I'm not sure whether it's brave. I think it's 
uh, it's a good thing to do. It's a, it's a new revenue stream. But in effect, a negotiation with Sky for some pennies for every subscriber. And they'll bundle in the HD channels, Encore, and On Demand. And it's like, okay, well, how many pennies a month are we going to get from your subscribers for these services? And if, they, if you can get that number high enough, then, it, then it's a win straight away. Obviously, they've got a load of decent content. Um, I guess it means ITV3 might be getting a little bit more rubbish uh, as they scream <laughs> off the good stuff for, uh, for ITV Encore. Uh, but uh, I guess for the pay TV operators, they're well-known television brands uh, on that channel. Uh, if it keeps people in Sky and stops them flicking to BT Vision or UView or, or Virgin, then it's a good deal for them as well. well. It's sort of like a win-win, isn't it? Because they've got the, the rights, they've got the material, they do a deal with Sky. It's not as if you were going to have to pay, you know, Tottenham Saintly every time you wanted to watch a show. It is in this bundling situation. And that's how channels that started in the 1990s, actually the ones that did survive, survived, because they were taken as part of a bundle. I mean, UK Living, as it was then, probably wouldn't have survived on its own. But as part of the offering that people pay for in a group, even if they don't watch it very much, a bit like the Songs of Praise principle, you know, you can make it pay. And I think it's great and really exciting. And it's good to see ITV and Sky getting together. I mean, the one thing that I think is interesting is, as part of this deal, it means ITV again going to put ITV player into Sky's Now TV system and particularly that little Now TV box that's a tenor now has all the PSB catch-up broadcasters so uh, iPlayer, ITV player, 4AD and um, uh, Demand 5 and that's a, that's a great thing for 10 quid now and if I was UView I'd be a bit worried about this you know UView premium product hasn't had the best marketing hasn't had the best start um you know where is the slim version of uview you know the version that doesn't have this massive hard drive that makes it expensive uh, but there, surely there has to be a now a slim uview box uh, to take on what's going to be a really good thing now with now tv i don't want to go to sort of off the point but this is such an interesting subject about people accessing their entertainment television in a completely different way at the moment the bbc says that only two percent of people um, are not entitled to pay the licence fee because they get their television downloaded through our player, only 2%. But, you know, my theory is that's going to grow hugely. And I know there's been an Enders report out this week that says that young people have... St- they think that the young people withdrawing from linear TV has bottomed out. But even if the same number of people carry on watching the same amount of linear TV as those young people, I'm not putting this very well, but inevitably there's going to be a very big decline in the number of people watching live TV and therefore the whole nature of the BBC licence fee is threatened. And you don't see that anywhere in the current charter renewal discussions, which are very minimal actually anyway. And then that takes us on things like Netflix and, uh, I mean, I watch Netflix through Apple TV, for instance, but I can spend, you know, several weeks, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but just kind of going back through the Netflix archive or looking at different facilities on the, on the Apple TV and, and never going near the uh, EPG. Well, today there was an announcement from uh, iPlayer uh, where they were saying that they're going to slightly change the marketing of it away from catch-up to being yes. an entertainment destination in its, in its own right because a lot of the catch-up is going to change from seven days to a month. So, in effect, iPlayer comes a bit more like Netflix. Now, as a commercial broadcaster that scares me to death because when I was involved in some of the the regulation stuff around seven day catch up it was to ensure they didn't dominate a market I think it's kind of classic BBC in the sense that they were doing very well with iPlayer and then suddenly Netflix, Love Film, Blinkbox appeared and it's like, oh God, we've got to do something about it. Uh, let's throw a load of resource programming money at it, thus once again perhaps stifling some of the, the commercial innovation that's driven the sector. Well, that's always the big issue with the BBC, isn't it? It's sort of like the own brand comes in and boots your chocolate biscuits off the shelf. OK, well, much more of that to come, no doubt. But talking about the iPlayer, as we were, the BBC did release the stats this week for 2013. 
And it turns out that there were three billion programs requested, that dread phrase you have to use in relation to the iPlayer, re- requested, because we don't know if they watch them, uh, on the iPlayer in 2013. That was up a third on 2012. And the most popular show uh, requested uh, about three and a half million times was uh, Top Gear. Uh, big fan there, Liz. Uh, in fact, Top Gear, you're likely to see even more, made up 10 of the top 20 shows on the iPlayer. So it's good to see That's because people didn't get it first time round. you know. What about that quote that said you've got to have the brain of a nine-year-old to really appreciate you're it? You're getting way ahead of yourself Whoa. there. That's right, yeah, mental age of a nine-year-old. Uh, you might have Actually, guessed one of our media market quiz questions. I think. There is a thing about um, are some shows better consumed on catch-up than live. So uh, Top Gear is well, Sundays. Sunday's quite a competitive uh, TV, very distributed uh, family viewing, watching lots of different things, uh, perhaps suits catch up better. I was at a really good BAFTA event this week uh, on Kids TV, a Kids TV question time. And editor from the BBC was saying that the Dumping Ground, popular Kids TV show, does about 300,000 a week uh, live uh, and then another million on catch up uh, in the same way that Kids is changing into being a predominantly on-demand series of programmes. Uh, so maybe Top Gear does well, not only because of Jeremy Clarkson and a very entertaining show, but actually its uh, linear scheduling benefits on-demand better. That's really interesting, and that does again pay into this whole idea about when people watch, how they watch, how they should pay for watching. It's, I mean, to say that it's got a million on catch-up and 300,000 on transmission, that's astonishing. Tell you what, strangely, strangely tailored for catch up uh, or certainly for downloading is is music documentaries on BBC Four. There's something about those things that lends themselves to watching them on a miserable Monday morning. Well, uh, music TV historically has really badly rated. So music TV does terribly on television, whether that's Top of the Pops or, or Docs or those sorts of things. So again, maybe it is it's just a type of program that that suits watching on your on your own uh, at a time that suits you. But if it is a documentary about Mike Oldfield, there's something about that that makes that's, me want... That's just you, John. It makes me want to shield it from my fellow commuters, who then assume it's something much, much worse. You should be proud. It's just Oldfield. It's nothing weird. Uh, anyway, right. Well, Liz, you mentioned it there, so let's come straight to it. It's the new Sky marketing wheeze they announced this week, uh, where they're going to put uh, first episodes, some of their biggest series, such as The Tunnel and uh, Moon Boy, onto a YouTube channel, just to uh, in, in a hope that it's going to convince people who... Uh, who weren't persuaded by their advertising and uh, enormous expensive marketing campaigns. Maybe if they watch a show, uh, they'll stump up their hard-earned cash instead. Uh, also, Game of Thrones, which I got very excited about, but it's not actually the first episode. It's just the first scene, which I know was a long scene and a memorable scene. But, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite the whole thing, is no, it? No, I don't think that would do it for me. But it's not like Sky to give stuff away for free. So what did you chats make of that? Uh, I know it's only a marketing thing, but at the same time, it's a, is it a, a sign of how well, times are changing? they're not giving things away for free, really, are they? It's the first episode. They've got all the rights on it. They've got nothing to lose. It's probably quite a good ploy. Give it a go. I can't see any harm in it. It's not as if people are going to watch it and then, you know, watch it and then actively decide not to... To, well, they might watch it and say they don't want to see it, but Sky's no worse off as a result of that. I mean, YouTube's an interesting place to put it. Yeah, YouTube's about short form. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have the programmes that people go to, to to watch in that environment. I think it's you know it's a quite a nice marketing ploy and it gets some column inches. I'm not sure whether it'll generate more, loads, loads of views. things are, are appearing on YouTube more and more. You know, but do people do people really see it as as that as that place to go? There's know. there's some you know, Channel Four pulled all of their 4OD stuff off of YouTube recently, keeping it in uh, on the Channel Four website and apps. Uh, and then the uh, a lot of the subscription YouTube stuff that they really pushed last year. Um, none of it's really sort of hit any decent numbers but the thing about youtube is it's pretty universal now everybody knows how to do it right across the generations you know everyone goes to youtube it's a really go-to place and i think that's probably the right place to put it then because there are other feeds are more obscure and so you know go to youtube have a look i think i will okay well in other tv news uh the bbc announced a brand new channel this week not in the uk but uh this was tim davy who was the chief executive of um, bbc worldwide of course 
They've already got a, a thing called BBC First, which they're launching, which is uh, it's like a best of British drama. Sounds like the sort of thing ITV should pick up on. Uh, and they've also got something called BBC Earth, which is more of an online beast, I think, all their natural history stuff. Uh, and their third big new release is going to be BBC Brit. It's a male-skewed uh, factual entertainment channel which will appeal to fans of Top Gear. It's a bit like Dave, like an upmarket Dave. It's Dave International. Uh, it's done really well. There is, there is a bit of comedy on Dave, but actually there isn't a lot of kind of traditional scripted comedy on there. It is all panel shows and, and those sorts of things. That, that'll do the similar thing in, in other territories, get in before someone else does. Liz, hit on me. I'm not very. I, I, I'm not very optimistic about this. When we had a, a tranche of channels at Flexdeck, we had one called Bravo, which we tried to make into a, a male, uh, young male channel, and it's really, really hard to do because they're the most elusive audience. They're out doing other things. You know, the 18 to 24 year old male audience is the, is the holy grail in terms of well, traditional advertising for a start. You know, if you can target them, and they're they're difficult to get and they're difficult to keep. And it is really comedy-based. It really is important, this comedy stuff and this localised comedy stuff. I mean, you know, let's be honest about Top Gear. A lot of the appeal is it's really funny, stupid and funny. And the toys bit sort of almost now, I think, secondary to the three old kids, really. So I think that this is going to be very, very hard to pull off without comedy. And comedy is not international. And that is a really big problem. So it's not just David, it's David, you know. And we're not going to make it, I don't think, because our comedy doesn't travel. And I know from personal experience how really difficult this sort of channel can be. I mean, at one point for Bravo, I bought old reruns of Baywatch. We didn't have like a huge budget, and that was pretty expensive. And it just completely flopped, you know. And yet, every indication was that that would be quite good fun. People like to watch it. It didn't work. It's so hard to pin this audience down. It's almost like serendipity if it works. Sticking with the BBC, there was yet more criticism of its doomed £100 million digital media initiative this week. This time, it was the National Audit Office. Uh, which revealed a catalogue of errors, delays and mismanagement that culminated in Director General Tony Hall calling the whole thing off just a month after he got the job last year. Among the details revealed this week, for instance, was that uh, BBC Sport had to shell out 800 grand on a digital system in Salford when it became clear that DMI wasn't ready. Matt, feels like this one's going to run and run like things that the BBC do these days. It won't be the first, it won't be the last sort of major IT project to go wrong. Have you got any sort of degree of sympathy here, or uh, do the BBC deserve uh, everything they get here? Well, we're down 1 million from 100 to 99. That's the, that's the big news this week. That's saving. Um, but, yeah, it's terrible. I'm sure no one wanted uh, a massive project like this to fail. Every big organisation has a catalogue of these errors, NHS, government procurement, all those things. I think what's interesting is there's been a bit of a change both across the whole industry and kind of government as well is moving to a more agile way of developing newer projects. And one of the great things about agile is you deliver parts of it all the time. So it's not work for five years, then here's the end point. It's work for three months, here's part one, work for three months, here's part two. And actually what agile does is it stops these sorts of things happening. Yeah, it's terrible. It shouldn't have happened. It should have had better checks and balances in place but you know we've all been in places where there have been disasters like this not normally that scale but then a lot of the projects that perhaps we're involved with aren't about ch- changing plus systems across 28,000 employees in 50 countries so, yeah I imagine uh, it's quite a big one and it went wrong uh, I think it's a useful way to, to sort of uh, kick the BBC again uh, Mark Thompson must get amazing uh, air miles yeah. for having to come back to uh, <laughs> Uh, to government to answer again. At what point can you just go, no, I've got a new job, I've done two years somewhere else? Who pays for that? I 
<laughs> Probably. We should yeah. find out. Yeah, uh, well, you mentioned Mark Thompson, just to let listeners know. Yeah, he's back, uh, back before MPs uh, on Monday. Uh, along with various other BBC types, uh, because Liz, he told MPs in 2011 that DMI was up and running, mm-hmm. yeah. and then it turned out that it wasn't. And uh, Thompson said, "Well, I told you in good faith. I was, I was just uh, uh, mistaken or ill-informed." And it's the Public Accounts Committee next week, which is, of course, Margaret Hodge. Which is always good viewing. They should put that on YouTube. Anyway, uh, has a habit of getting to the, bo- to the bottom of things. Yeah, it's Liz, really. Over to you. It's really interesting because of if you look at what John Linwood, who was the outgoing executive who ran that particular... Who went in the middle of last year, it absolutely, now turns out. That yeah. project was his project. And the things that he says about why it failed was the conflict between departments, confusion over what the vision was supposed to be, people not sticking with it, people going off message when it, you know they've been told that this is what was going to happen, and a lack of coherence, a lack of leadership in the BBC management. And in a way, although Matt's absolutely right, you know, these terrible things happen, particularly with IT, and it's one of those things, and if nothing ventured, nothing gained. But what this does indicate, again, about the BBC is the way it, it's managed and the way it operates and the diverse way that it, it operates within itself. And the really scary thing is about the way they tried to cover each other's backs. You know, well, There was one email, apparently, that went around that said, you know, please don't you know, kick at these people. These are our colleagues and we should support them and so on. And there's nothing wrong with a bit of you know loyalty in the family, but actually it does amount to a sort of cover-up culture and um, a protective culture, which is quite dangerous and I think that's the thing that comes out of this for me I mean not the waste of money that's terrible obviously but as you say it happens all over the place it was the strange way in which this was implemented and this is one of the things about the BBC I think we've absolutely got to get to grips with small groups of people odd groups of management a lack of cohesion it's very indicative, I think, and that's what this committee is going to flush out. And John Limmond, who you mentioned there, he's now taking legal action uh, against yeah. the BBC, saying that they're accusing them of uh, allowing inaccurate statements to be made to MPs. So, yeah, uh, because what they've said is really very da- damaging to him, isn't it? Very dangerous. And I think th- there is a call for this to be looked at in greater detail. We've only heard one side of the story, which is BBC says, big mistake, rubbish, big bass, that was then, this is now. But actually, it's very, very damaging to the people who are involved. The media landscape is shifting, but what changes matter most in 2014? Disruptive technologies. E-commerce. Mobile opportunities. Big data and the web. Personalisation and diversification. The rise and rise of branded content. We're exploring all these topics and more at the Guardian Changing Media Summit. Mixed with hundreds of top media professionals, tap into the latest trends and thinking and hear from top companies including Airbnb, LinkedIn, BuzzFeed and B-Sky-B. Big issues. Big ideas. Big inspiration at the Guardian Changing Media Summit on the 18th and 19th of March in London. Find out more at theguardian.com forward slash changing media summit. Right, Liz and Matt are still with me and time for some news in brief, uh, some very news in brief. Uh, First up, Trinity Mirror said farewell to former Sunday Express editor Sue Douglas. Uh, they hired uh, Douglas to take charge of the Sunday People. And she went on to launch the people.co.uk website, which was the uh, Sunday People's first dedicated site. But that's going to be shut as well because it didn't hit traffic targets. Matt, always going to be a task taking charge of the Sunday People, but doubly so trying to launch a website around a Sunday newspaper. Yeah, uh, interesting. They got uh, her involved because she was looking to try and buy it. They liked her ideas, didn't sell it to her, got her in to uh, run the People, I think the Scottish version of that, and then launch new digital products. Um, they were having quite a good voice on Twitter. They were starting to kind of get something together. I don't think people.co.uk was that interesting, especially when 
Trinity Mirror had launched two very exciting projects, Us versus Them and Amped. Uh, sort of, I think a shame, a shame. It sort of all didn't really didn't really work for them. But what what Sunday people? It's in a very crowded marketplace. It's not that distinctive. It's a difficult one. I think it's, it's a profitable part of their business, isn't it? So they kind of just kind of keep doing it on relatively skeleton staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not going to grow the brand, then probably not good to have someone who's probably relatively expensive who wants to do new things. The Daily yeah. Mail's probably taken an awful lot of the oxygen out of that particular market anyway. Interestingly, they've decided to now have the .com domain, not the .co.uk. They're really pushing this uh, international side of the, of the Daily Mail website. And so, in a, in a sense, the, the people, I don't think, could really compete with that. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's infinite market for infinite websites, but it was a little bit too samey with that sort of thing and not as successful. And I think the Mail's success has astonished even the Mail. You know, it's just one of those things that's, that's really taken off. There's a sort of interesting thing about the, the machinations behind all this, and I'm not really familiar with it, but obviously Sue Douglas has gone, but she came in with a, a, a bloke as a partner, Rupert Howells, I think, and he's stayed. And this often seems to me to be the way things go in media. When there's a, a problem or a disaster, it's often the woman that gets the boot. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your listeners will say, ridiculous prejudice, on my part but it just struck me as interesting he's remaining and she's going yeah and listen you mentioned the mail going to the dot com uh, domain name what's the what's the why do you do that what's the advantages of that and is, i think it's just re- easier internationally you know the dot co dot uk it's just a little bit more cumbersome it puts people off it doesn't get them i don't obviously once you put it in once you can put it in a million times but it just it's slower and it doesn't say international you know yourself when you get emails and it's dot fr or dot fin or something you think oh yeah but dot com it's universal it isn't branded british Matt, are you funkids.com or is you not that sort of uh, business? We're funkidslive.com, we are, yes. You are. We have all the others like everyone does, but um, uh, it's easy to say on air. Yeah, that's true. It's just quicker off the tongue, isn't it? Okay. Also this week, uh, the, the oddest story of the week, no doubt, was this uh, advert which appeared in the Daily Telegraph um, attacking uh, what it called the pro-gay Times columnist uh, Libby Purvis. Uh, Liz, do you want to do you want to take up the story? Oh, it's really interesting. I mean, R- Libby Purvis writes a column regularly in the Times, and in this particular column, which I didn't read at the time actually, she was talking about Putin's homophobia, and it's related to the Winter Olympics and so on. A perfectly straightforward article of the Libby Purvis type, it seems to me. And a Greek businessman who was at one point involved with UKIP took out a big advert in the Telegraph, really green ink stuff, saying how bizarre it was of Libby Purvis to uh, take this stance and how homosexuality was judged by. God, not by law. And and he also said that she used the word homophobic, which isn't a word, and comes from both a Latin and a Greek root, and therefore is a, a, a fusion word and doesn't really work, like homosexual, television, all these other fusion words that we've got. Um, and it's really a bit of a rant on behalf of this bloke. And the issue is, should the Telegraph have taken his money and put the advert in? Libby Furvis doesn't seem the slightest bit concerned about it. She described him as a bit of a hoot. Apparently he writes to her regularly. He's done it to other female columnists. In a sense, you know, it's like high-end trolling. He's taken out a whole page in, in the Telegraph. I don't, I don't know. I just think it's funny. I don't think it's terribly crucial or important. But it does indicate this anti-feminine feeling that you do get. This particular guy has picked on female columnists. He doesn't like what women say. He's taken out this whole ad about women. And it is part of this you know, everyday sexism, I think, that we still haven't really come to terms with in this country and we pretend isn't there. OK, he's perhaps the slightly greening end of it, but a, there's a lot of people out there who sort of vaguely think along those lines. And this is one of my theories, which is that trolling isn't about the lonely guy and his the back bedroom in his house in Halifax. It's actually about quite a lot of people around you all the time who get away with it or who feel that they have to vent in this way and it, it's 
anti-feminist sentiment. Hopefully, as many people say, it coming out will lance the boil better than it being subverted in some way. But it's something more and more women, particularly young women, are becoming very conscious of and beginning perhaps to fight back against. So the Libby Purvis thing is obviously middle-aged people having to go at each other and perhaps doesn't get to the youth end, but it's still indicative of that sort of bubbling undercurrent misogyny which more and more people are going to tackle, I think. Matt, I'm sure the Telegraph will take any advertiser's money, but was there, is there sort of a moral question or, you know, should they do... You know, what, maybe it'll become a weekly ever, who knows? But, you know, or is it, is it, you know, if he's paying his money, he gets to say what he likes? There's an argument you can say, you know, freedom of speech. So he, if he disagrees, he should be allowed to do what anybody else would do, which is buy some space and do it. Um, if it was my publication, I wouldn't have taken the ad. They get to decide, don't they? And they probably feel it has some resonance with some of their readers. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. In a way, I think, great, you know, put it out there if that's how you feel and let's tackle those sort of things head on. Though, of course, the new Daily Telegraph uh, online and that shift, uh, the online element isn't going to be uh, right wing, is going to be pretty centrist, according to things that came out the other week. Um, so would they take it as an online ad, but only as a print ad? Maybe the wording was subtly different online, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go and check. Right, time now for our Media Monkey quiz. Uh, which I know you're both excited about, uh, almost as much as our listeners. Right, uh, question number one. Uh, on which soap will feature a, the spirit of Shoreditch? Oh, EastEnders. Straight in there with a bullet. Is this a good idea? Oh, Should they update Albert Square? Know, this makes Should me, they leave well alone? This makes me quite cross, you know, because the Radio Times this week came out with this thing. Everyone's talking about EastEnders. No, we're not. We're talking about Corrie. Well, we are right. You know, yeah. it's just marketing. <laughs> anyway, they're going to tart it up, aren't they? Make it more like yeah, East End London is today, where you can't afford to live. That'll well, be interesting. Our office is in Shoreditch, um, so Ooh, trendy. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not that trendy anymore, <laughs> is it? So uh, I think it'd be interesting to see whether they uh, just add a add a dodgy bar, add some strange haircuts, um, and lots of people on Max. That'll pretty much do it. That covers it off, right? Well, there's all the yeah, that's <laughs> that's all the advice they need then. for free, right? Question number two: uh, Whose Super Bowl ad got banned uh, this week? Um, Soda Stream. Soda Stream, it's still going. Who knew? Have, have you seen Apparently it? It's very big in the US. It's a really it's high end now. Soda Stream, high end product. It is. It's very is it? John Lewis, hundred quid. It's yeah. good for you. So they say. No, but this, the ad itself is incredibly simplistic. You know, it's not really a high production ad. You've got. Um, have you seen it? You've got Scarlett Johansson just, you know, drinking a bit of Soda Stream. But it's highly controversial because at the end she says something like, "Up oh, yours, Pepsi and Coke." No. Sorry, Pepsi and Coke. And that would have been better, up yours. <laughs> Pepsi and Coke. And it's caused, you know, huge problems, and they've had to take the last three words off in some of the transmissions and so on. Brilliant marketing. It, it's, but who cares about the Super Bowl now? All I remember about SodaStream is Barry, my neighbour, used to put the canisters on the bonfire when I was a kid, and it used to terrify me. Yeah. <laughs> <Scary>. <laughs> Maybe I needed to man up. Anyway. Should be on top gear. Question number three, talking of which. Uh, Liz, I wonder, which, which show is aimed at middle-aged men with a mental age of nine? Oh, now, could that be the news? No, it's... Uh, Top gear. You are way ahead of us with that, yes. And we can say that because it's not uh, our verdict. Oh, no, it's the uh, verdict of executive producer Andy Woolman. So we are in no way being patronising about a very popular P- TV show, which I understand, Matt, is uh, very big on the iPlayer. That's huge. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you very much. So I think that's 3-0 to Liz. Oh, uh, next, uh, pressure on for next oh. time, Matt. Oh, well, the questions were a bit loaded, weren't they, really? <laughs> soap operas, middle-aged men. Hang on, soap opera, Scarlett Hansen and, and Top Gear. They're all human life, is there, Liz? Yeah, I suppose you're right. I'm really proud of winning. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank my mum. That's better, right. Edit that first bit out, producer Matt. Right, anyway, my thank you to Mr Matt Deegan and Liz Howell. Thank you very much. Right, it's time now to join Rebecca Nicholson, The Guardian's TV and radio editor, in her TV lair, or iLair. It's been rebranded, I think. We've gone very uh, minimal. <laughs> and on demand. Just lots of screens everywhere. Totally non-linear. <laughs> totally non-linear. You have your pudding before your main course. Yeah, 
before your starter. Yeah. And then you go back to bed. All of that. Yeah, all just crazy. Mixed up. It's a mix, mixed up world, isn't it? As uh, Sophie Ellis Bexter said. I don't know where you're going with she this. She did. I've been watching Orange is the New Black because you recommended it about a year ago. And I, I did, yeah. I'm yeah. pleased to see that you're keeping up to date with current TV trends. Yeah, I woke up and thought, I've got to watch that. It's very good. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, you were right. You weren't wrong. I never Thank you. you. Um, some people do think that I'm wrong, but I think most of those people have only seen the first couple of episodes and haven't taken to it. But I think you really need to give it a bit more of a chance. As you have done and discovered. Have they had a clinker yet, Netflix? You know, because it struck me, plenty of new TV channels come out and try and commission new stuff and, you know, they fall on their asses over and over again. But it feels like Netflix, even though they've got, obviously got loads of money and have very talented people making their shows, have sort of done very well. Hats off, hit the bullseye with House of Cards and... Well, isn't the rumour that they can't make television that will fail? But I suspect this may be a rumour put out by Netflix themselves because of all the algorithms and all of that kind of voodoo business. However, there was one really terrible Netflix show... Was um, that? that Eli Roth directed. I can't remember the name of it. It was so bad that oh, I yeah, can't remember. Oh, yeah, something about a grove, it. was it? Yeah. Hemlock Grove, that's Hemlock it. Hemlock Grove. Hemlock Grove. That was terrible. That was really awful. I believe John Whittingdale was a fan. Was he? <laughs> I thought that he was once really told a broadcasting press made, good lunch. They've made another series of it, so it's obviously doing all right for them. Hitting those, hitting the those algorithms. stats, those algorithms. <laughs> or logarithms, as I once told uh, Ted Sarandos. <laughs> He walked out. Did he? <laughs> no, I'm making all that up. But what's on your watch list this week? Um, I thought we should talk about the jump. Yep. Channel 4's ski jump spectacular. Or well, not so spectacular, it turns out. <laughs> it's not so much the jump, is it? Because the jump is barely a couple of inches off the ground. It's more the slide. It's a, sli- a, slide, the and a, a slide and a drop. Yeah, which <laughs> is still quite scary. Drop. Well, this is the thing. So it had a terrible first episode. Um, I thought it was so dull. And I really wanted it to be better than it was but I just thought it was really boring it's celebrities skiing for an hour and then the drop at the end the sort of the minor drop but if you stick with it it's not so bad I think it's really starting to find its feet praise indeed genuine stuff happened last night um Henry Conway the uh who yeah well exactly the posh uh fashion guru who person (laughs) broke his hand quite severely and had to have it rebuilt with titanium rods and so they've had to bring in um not live but in the day before so he's out he can't do any of the i mean they really are having to go that far down the uh down the pecking order because uh stuart heritage one of our writers wrote a piece for the guide on on saturday no but he did do a set visit and they all they've already burned through all of their reserves because people are getting injured so much. So that drop may look little on the telly, but is actually quite... He didn't do it on the drop. He did it on the skeleton thing, which is actually terrifying. But it's getting better. It's getting better. So it's not quite as awful as I thought. And you will know this more than I will, but the, the ratings seem to be holding up, don't they? Uh, not too bad. Yeah, it took a bit of a dip, but, uh, but doing okay. Yeah, sort of splash-tastic, like, like the first series of Splash. Yeah. In that sense. Uh, which I'm surprised, because after the first one, I thought people would switch off. But clearly, that drop has some sort of power. And when I say like the first series of Splash, they're not as big as Splash was, but it kind of, you know, held its own in a Channel 4 kind of 9% sort of way. Yeah. So they'll be happy with that, I think. Yeah. Uh, are, there, are there the full range of winter sports to come or? Um... I don't know, actually. Uh, last night's was great because it was the skeleton. So you, it looks like a human pinball being knocked around a sort of slightly tubular track. But Jen, that's how he broke his hand. And it looks terrifying. Terrifying. I hope they do curling. 60 miles an hour on your belly. That's pretty fast. Yeah, God, takes me back. <laughs> We've all been there. Yes. Right, so The Jump, recommended Yes. by Rebecca Nicholson. That'll shoot up your um, Netflix uh, algorithm. <laughs> Next up. Netflix keeps recommending me LOL, but we're starring Miley Cyrus and Demi Moore. Um, and I don't know why it keeps doing that. I still haven't seen it. No, no neither have I. But it knows that that's what my soul wants. <laughs> Next, more fact ends. Uh, Celebrity Big Brother. 
it's a good year for so far. I mean, it's only January. What's happened still. to the TV layer? <laughs> Quality's shot downwards. I know it is January. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't got the energy for anything. Okay. I watched the bridge. You know, I've All right, done, done my subtitles. Celebrity Brothers been brilliant this series. Really, really fantastic. Sunday night's episode had one of the best tasks I've ever seen on Big Brother. And I have stopped watching. I did stop watching Big Brother for a few years because I couldn't really bear the sort of Channel 5, everything being thrown at you all at once. And the editing was really quite nauseatingly, you know. But I started watching it again. And this series has been so great. They did this task where a clock would chime. This better be good. Yeah, all go of the contestants would have to stand still. And while they stood still, someone that they knew would come out of the clock and sort of try to make everyone move by doing something in front of their face. And it was funny when... So Lee Ryan of the boy band Blue. I feel like I might be speaking an entirely different language to you, <laughs> judging by your out. face. Lee Ryan of the boy band Blue, now known as Love Rat Lee Ryan because of his behaviour in the Big Brother house. His band came out and performed their big hit in front of him and he had to stand there and trying not to laugh, which is a lot funnier than it sounds, but it was very good. And then they brought out um, Jasmine, who Lee had a bit of a fling with in the house early on, but Lee's subsequently been having a bit of a fling with someone else in the house, Casey. And so while they were frozen on the sofa, Jasmine came out and told them both what she thought of them. It was so great. This doesn't feel like regular media talk. It feels like an ITV2 spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> So you think so you're saying Channel Four should take it back? And Keith Lemons just walked in. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean I suspect that this is a particularly good year because they've got a great mix of people. It looks like Jim Davidson might be on track to win, which is baffling. But it's been a very good year. I think it's just one of those things where sometimes it happens. You get a really great mix of people, great storylines, great series. But it's been very good. Right. Next up. Next up, The Good Wife. Oh yes. I love The Good My Wife. My Good Wife's favourite show, The Good Wife. Is it really? Yeah. It's because it's a really good show, The Good Wife. I've never seen a whole episode. I might have said this before. I, 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 I think try you're and out. give up. I think you're missing out. And also, I think it, what's brilliant about it is that because it's a network show, you can get into it if you haven't been following the whole thing. It works as a, as a long series because there are sort of storylines and, and plot arcs that carry on for a long time. But also, every week has a case and it goes on a case. It's like that CSI case by case, you know. You can watch it week by week. You can dip in and out. But it's so good. And this series in particular, which is starting on More 4, it's been on in the States already, at the first half has, it's starting on More 4 on Thursday. Every episode is just fantastic. So Alicia and... Again, I'm going to... If you're not watching it, this is going to sound like an entirely different language. Alicia and Carey are leaving Lockhart Gardner to set up their own firm. Oh, my God. Dun, dun, dun. It's much more dramatic than it sounds. I remember a partner controversy a while ago when yeah. someone got made a partner and someone didn't. It's like that, except better. Alan Cumming. I always expect Alan Cumming to have a bigger role. Maybe that's what confuses me. He's quite... Did he ever get his own episodes? Um, not really. He's in and out of it, but he does play a very, very good character. A very central character. So what you're saying is I need to watch and do a whole episode. I, I would judge. recommend watching a whole, a whole episode, if not the whole season. I find them which is all a bit strange looking. Yeah, well, the thing is, John, you're going to end up watching this in a year's time. And when we're still here on Media Talks, I'm watching that show that you recommended <laughs> back in 2014. You're right, yeah. <laughs> it's, new, it's next year's Orange is the New Black, <laughs> which is coming back for a new second series, yes, right? Yes, it is. That... I'm not sure when. I think House of Cards first in February. And February then... 14th. Yes. My birthday, in fact. Happy birthday to me. I should probably watch House of Cards before then. For, for your present, I bought you a, a multi-billion pound series starring Kevin Spacey. Thank you very much. That's I very kind. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> 
Rebecca Nicholson, thank you very much. Thanks. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to all our guests, who were Matt Deegan, Liz Howell, and Rebecca Nicholson. You can leave your thoughts on our blog, or you can tweet me at JohnPlunkett149. Media Talk was produced by Mr Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.